Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome to this week's edition of the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with our pals at Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the hilarious Russell Howard chats his brand new travel and comedy show stands up to the world on Sky One. Acting superstar Mark Strong uh, tells us what to expect from Disney's upcoming live-action film Cruella. The awesome Billy Piper discusses her directorial debut, Rare Beasts, and the dynamic duo of Daisy Haggard. And Chris Addison get us excited for Series 2 of their brilliant show Breeders. All of that and so much more to come. Now, Dapper Dave, tell us who's the first of our guests today. Whether he's performing to thousands or making telly from the comfort of his childhood bedroom, you're guaranteed a laugh. His new three-part travel and live comedy show Stands Up to the World starts this Monday at 9pm on Sky One. So it's time for the globe-trotting giggle machine that is Russell Howard. Morning, Russell. Hello, Chris. How are you? Very well. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm feeling good. So, um... There's a break in lockdown and then there's going to um, New Zealand and Australia to crack on with your job, experiencing quarantine first and then being hit by uh, the uh, potential trauma that is normal life again. Tell us more. It was so basically we had these shows in New Zealand and Australia that were already on sale. And in order to do them, we had to we had to stay in a hotel for two weeks and then we were able to do it. So we were really lucky and, um, yeah, kind of travelled around, uh, did 30 shows in New Zealand and Australia and hung out with Sam Neill and Tim Minchin. We did some sheep shearing and (laughs) we went yowie hunting. We sort of experienced this sort of future past that we're all craving. It was so incredible. I felt so lucky to be able to kind of wandering around a place that was COVID free and do, you know, gigs that weren't socially distanced. It was it was really, really brilliant. I, yeah. I felt really charmed. And what we tried to do is, you know, uh, film as many shows and sort of have as as much fun and sort of present like a really uplifting, hopefully joyous travel show that celebrates the beauty of people. That was the aim, you know? Yeah, and the comedy is the jam and the sandwich, but the context is what's fascinating about it all. So you mm. go into quarantine for 14 days in New Zealand, and then you let out and you meet your film crew on the street, and your yes. your senses are assaulted by by normal life again, and you look visibly shocked. You, don't, you, you weren't aware that you could shake hands, and then you go and see people, and they're picnicking, and mm. uh, tell us what that was like, because it was like you were almost transported to a different planet, and very few people in the world will have experienced that because the people in New Zealand that would be it would have been graduated for them we don't yeah. get to do it because we don't do what you do for a living so you're one of the few people in the world that sort of went to outer space and did a spacewalk that's exactly what it felt like yeah it was so like it's somebody coming near you like again you just realize how kind of freaked out you've become by other people approaching and then you realize like I could hug people at gigs people were coming up to me and hugging me it was so weird and exciting. I've never left a hotel like that. I felt like I was in the Beatles to kind of, <laughs> you know, but to leave a hotel and have people 
greet you. And then you do these shows. And obviously the people in New Zealand and Australia realized that you've been sat in a hotel room on your own for two weeks. So they're so appreciative of you. Yeah. And you're so appreciative of them because you get to do what you love. I'm sure musicians and actors are the same. It's that thing where it doesn't matter. You'll go, I, would, I sat in a room on my own for a fortnight just to experience what it's like to do my job again because yeah. I adore it. You know what I mean? It was almost like this this quest to get back to, to your happy place, really. And safe to say there was a lot of love in the room. It was great. It was amazing, yeah. And there are, there are brilliant people, the uh, the Kiwis and the Aussies. Really fascinating. We met some wonderful... I met a lady called June in Queensland. Uh, it's a wonderful pink-haired lady, and she's a yaoi hunter. Do you know what that is? No, tell me. It's the Australian version of Bigfoot, and uh, June has been on a quest to find the Yowie for many years. And I spent the afternoon with her, and apparently the way to try and lure one in is by uh, tobacco and alcohol. So <laughs> we, we put, we well, put, hang on, uh, Russell, in that case, I, f- I, found, I found all the Yowies in the 90s, mate. I can tell her where they are. This is it. Well, this is it. It was so wonderful, though, being in the middle of this kind of forest, putting down, you know, a packet of fags and some fosters and, and then doing mating calls to try right. and bring the yaoi. But we yeah. couldn't find him. But it's sort of that, that's something I love about travel when you sort of meet the underbelly of a place and you, you sort of meet the dingle dodies of each land, you know, and you just end up having these, these kind of mad little days. And then the great thing about this show is we were filming these experiences and then I would chat about it and it, the stand-up and the kind of adventures, if you like, is sort of intercut. So it, it feels like one fluid show. It's really fun. No, it's clever. So what you're doing is basically you're recording or you're creating, recording first of all, then reflecting on and creating the narrative for the show, which is the voiceover for the show, which is the stand-up that's happening in between your experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's cool. It just feels like a slightly different way of doing it. And um, then it makes... Because you always do this when you travel. I bet musicians are the same. You have these lovely little stories that you can chat about if you're in, like, Helsinki or, you know, Washington or whatever. But they're not funny when you come back home. But if you can prove that you hung out with Sam Neill on his vineyard and spent a good half an hour massaging his pig, then that is funny because you've shown the evidence. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of this. It's really fascinating. Um, great, and of course, the, these three hours of telly, which sound amazing, they sound potentially award-winning uh, hours of telly. These would not have happened had it not been for lockdown. Yeah, well, do you know the funny thing is the plan was to do this kind of show where we, we're going to sort of travel around Europe almost as a respond to kind of to kind of Brexit, to kind of like just travel around, you know, um, Sweden or Copenhagen or Germany and do stand-up shows and write a new hour for each place um and then that couldn't happen and we had these gigs already booked so we we're like oh why don't we just do it in uh, in new zealand and australia so so yeah hopefully we'll do some more in the future and yeah, because i think what what i love about it i'm so fortunate and i feel like people must feel this when we get to travel it's those amazing moments in life where you meet people or you you, uh, you, you create a memory or something happens that's so unique and different and yet the same that there is such there's such a commonality and a connection that we all have um and that's what i love the most i love the little similarities and differences between cultures and then chatting about it on stage is it's the most fun and hopefully you sort of i feel like we all have a real desire once hopefully once covid's beyond in a couple of years to sort of travel the world and see places that blow our minds 
It's cool, Russell. It's so cool. Uh, you have a stand-up tour. We haven't really talked about that, but it all sells out anyway, right. so we don't. I don't think we need to, <laughs> but, we, yeah, yeah. but we can. Okay. Uh, world Tour tickets at russell-howard.co.uk. Great to talk to you, my friend. Uh, good luck with the and show. You. Good luck with the tour. Have a lovely bank holiday weekend. Thanks, Russell. Thanks, pal. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From the terrific Temple on Sky <laughs> 1 to pretty much any decent movie you've ever seen, he never fails to hit the bullseye. His new movie, Cruella, is out on Friday, and here to tell us why every man in his Dalmatian should watch it is the nicest bloke in the business. Really it's is. Mark Strong! Really is. Uh, Cruella, massive film, um, out this Friday. Sky uh, on Disney+, Plus, uh, buy you Sky Q, or in theatres. Uh, the cinemas are back open. Now, how much can you tell us about it? How, how are you going to whet our appetite without giving too much weight? Your character is pivotal... In the plot, mm-hmm. you were surrounded by other acting gold. Fill your boots, off you go. Well, Emma Stone is the lead, and she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, not only in the film, but as a person. Emma Thompson plays this icy, vicious kind of baroness who's a laugh. Baddie, and I'm proper her... baddie. Yeah, proper baddie. Yeah. I mean, great as well. And I'm her butler. So I'm sure the reason I was cast is because you assume I'm the bad guy, and I am on her team, right. the bad guy team. But there is a, uh, a moment in the film where you realise that things aren't quite what they seem. Okay, now this is Disney are doing this a lot now. They're going back. They're going pre, um, pre movies where characters who we who have become established and you know usually have some psychological um, curveball going on that drives them to this. This I have no idea what this must be like. By the way, this megalomaniacal kind of um, existence. But they're going pre. They're going back to their their roots and yeah. perhaps describing how come they ended up like this, like Cruella did in 101 Dalmatians. So, can you just give us, if people haven't seen 101 Dalmatians, can you tell us about Cruella in that and then give us a hint of what we might learn about her in this? Yeah, well, Cruella de Vil is a sort of fabulously evil character who famously made a coat out of Dalmatian uh, fur. <laughs> That's how nasty she is. Um, but this, very cleverly, what it does is it gives you this evil sort of uh, person at the end of the movie, and the whole movie is an origin story. It's kind of her as a kid growing right. up. So brilliantly what happens is by the end when she's this vicious evil nasty person you're with her you're on her side right because you've learned why she's become like she has the trauma the stuck energy yeah exactly the origin mean, stories so but but writers do this anyway don't they so, so the reason characters are so good anyway is because writers create a backstory that sometimes often we don't see and that is their untold origin story i'm not sure actually if this was ever her proper origin story or whether it was invented in order to kind of deliver Cruella to right. the public in a kind of sympathetic way right. but um, it, it deals with her at school and then her being kind of bullied in her life her family structure isn't kind of cool so by the end as I say you kind of you're on her side and it does feel as if there will be more which is handy yeah <laughs> that's you've almost said too much there um, so your character um, he's he's not got loads and loads and loads of lines but his presence is ever felt well, I think that's why I was cast. You know, they, they they thought everybody would just assume I was the bad guy. But brilliantly, he's rather mysterious for the first half right. of the film. You don't really know what's going on with yeah. him. And then there is this sort of pivotal moment, and then you understand. Right, now, protective butlers in past epics gone by, there's a long list of them. Did you focus in on any of your favourites from the past? John Gielgud in Arthur, for example. Michael Caine in Batman, for example. Anthony Hopkins in Remains of the yep. Day, yeah. Um, well, we know, don't we, as Brits, what that... <laughs> 
that character is. So right. I had a fantastic outfit. I was wearing tails, the right. finest, uh, you know, and I just basically stood around being very um, um, obsequious, uh, but knowing. Yeah, I was going to say, I was literally <laughs> going to say that because it's the knowing, it's the wisdom, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So uh, he's like that. And is the obsequiousness of those otherwise very wise um, characters, is that just a cover? Because it's, it's, it's the cover of a fool, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of Jeeves and Worcester, do you remember? I mean, yeah. it's the idea that the, that the butler's actually more intelligent and knows more than the person they're serving. Right, Emma Thompson, tell us about you and Emma hanging out on set, because I remember she was going to be there the day that you went yeah. off to film for the first time. Well, that, that's, I mean, that's a great thing when you know you're doing a film with somebody that you know you're going to want to hang out with. Yeah. I, I've met her a couple of times over the years, but she's great fun. You know, she's really... You know, lovely person, not talk to anyone, yeah, a bit wicked, you know. And actually, downtime on set, you have more of that than you do when you're actually on camera. Right. So you want to make sure that you're with someone you're going to have fun with. Yeah, yeah. And she was a lot of fun. And Emma Stone, the same. In, in comparison to other pictures you've appeared in, you know, give, give us like, was there, has there been a bigger one this scale-wise, budget-wise? Is there, What's the next one down? Well, the big, big superhero movies like John Carter and yeah. Green Lantern, upwards yeah. of 250 million. The <laughs> irony is, I know, I know. People tend to review the budgets rather than the actual movies. Oh, so if they're not amazing, yeah. they tend not to do very well. But right. uh, those, those big movies, a lot of CGI, that's right. the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas this, although it was pretty big budget, I don't yeah. think it was quite as much as that, but pretty big budget... Um, it was all real. It was all there. I did three big ballroom sequences yeah, in the movie, all different outfits. I mean, I should... Jenny Bevan, the costume designer, should get a mention because she is um, a genius. I mean, the fashion in this film yeah, is yeah. unbelievable. The soundtrack is amazing. Yeah. That's something, actually, that a lot of people should go and watch it for. Well, no, I mean, the, the reviews that I'm hearing, and we have to be careful what we say about it because it's not, it's not review time at the moment. We've got to keep our powder dry because that's one of the deals that we do with Disney and other companies, and we've agreed to that. Of course we have, and we don't want to ruin it for anyone. Um, but people, people are saying it is off the charts eye candy, but like you say, uh, the soundtrack's unbelievable. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Last time she was on, she'd barely slept and was still bleary-eyed from a night on the tiles. Quite frankly, we're hoping for more of the same. She's written, directed and stars in the new movie Rare Beast. It's in the cinemas now and on the line now is a rare beast indeed. It's the brilliant Billy Piper! All right, Miss Beastie. (laughs) (laughs) How are you with that? Uh, it's fine. Yeah. I've been called worse. A, a rare beast indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Dapper Dave. You know we were married once, don't you? <laughs> I'm not talking to Billy. She knows I was married once to you, you muppet. Um, hi, darling. Hi, hi. How are you? Very well. So um, this is a movie that's been on the back burner for a while. Of course, it enjoyed a um, British uh, or London Film Festival release a couple of years ago. We all went to the premiere. It was all very exciting. And now it's in the cinemas. And let's, Bill, let's first of all talk about that four-star review in Empire magazine and why it's so important to you. Well, yeah, amazing. Um, it is really important to me. You know, it's funny because it, I don't normally read reviews at all um people sort of usually send me the good ones and i avoid everything else this time i've sort of maybe unhelpfully but on this on this on this one i did i did look at it and um and i am so thrilled because i don't know it just it's been on a real journey the film and to have people um get it and find some sort of relief in it is um, a relief to me. Yeah. And re- re- uh, relief is the ultimate celebration in show business, isn't it, I suppose? I think I think it is. Like, you can get a, an extreme 
high from things, but it's so short lived. But the overwhelming sensation is a sense of relief. I, I wish I could sexualize, but that, that really is what it is uh, right now i've seen the film it is amazing four stars uh, in empire magazine and empire really do know what they're talking about so billy wrote it um she directed it however dare she and she stars in it how was all that in the mix um yeah it was it it was a lot um the oversight i think was being in it um just because it meant i couldn't sort of sit in the role as a director as much as i probably would have liked to but i won't do that again um and that said there was a sort of shorthand to having me play the lead role because it was just one less person to worry or or pay (laughs) or pay (laughs) certainly didn't get paid um but this was all of course uh pre i hate susie now your world your career world has exploded let's face it uh, it was always doing pretty darn well um but exactly how busy are you at the moment um last week was um insanely busy but i am i'm actively going to take some time off now until uh or, or september and then start writing i hate Susie too all right good for you and yeah and rebby so can you can you pitch it to the uh, unsuspecting public in a minute okay um what can i say about it so i mean it covers a lot of themes but broadly speaking it's about um a woman and her relationship with herself, ultimately. Um, So you sort of feel like it's about a dysfunctional relationship with a guy, um, but what you realise is it's it's a story about her own struggle with modern um, romance and modern feminism. Um, She's a working... She's a professional woman. She's a single mum. She's the ultimate nihilist. And she's she's just trying to navigate this world that we live in, which is, um, uh, in many ways quite a toxic one um so it's it's all of those sort of themes but as it, it is quite heavy and it bleak in places but i would argue that it's quite uh funny and the comedy is coming often coming through the crisis of the story no it is funny and it's really off the wall i, I love it you know i love it yeah it's quite strange yeah but it's beautifully shot as well um how much there's a little bit of Susie in her though isn't there well i suppose there is just by the virtue of me playing both those Part and also the things that I'm interested in is 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 sort of um, uh, telling a sort of honest story about what it costs to be a woman. And so, in that sense, yeah, it would make sense of those crossovers in those characters and conflicts in self-regard and you know um, self, yeah, self-observation. And, and, yeah, and lots of vulnerability and lots of things that we're sort of scared to talk about because the world doesn't always want to receive sort of seeing women in these ways. Yeah, no, I was talking to somebody, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago, a fellow actor of yours, and he says what he admires mostly about, actually not mostly, um, but one of the things was your, your your brutal honesty in your performance and your writing. But this directing business, I mean, when did you get so good at that all of a sudden? Um, I get, Look, I, I think I've always loved films, as you know. I've always studied films as you know and um i've always written but never with focus it's always been more of a hobby when i i actually made this a focus um when i finished writing it i just sort of thought there's no 
way I can really hand this over to someone else because I can see every frame of it. Yeah. And, I, and what I realized about making it was obviously as an actor, you're on set all the time, so there's loads of benefits to that in terms of filmmaking. But how much my like passions as a kid watching TV and films inform inform my sort of ability to visualize things. So I would always say to parents who freak out about their kids watching too much telly, like, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's such a great take. It's such a great take. It's really, 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 I, I feel like quite made by TV and film as yeah, a person yeah. and as a professional. Like my, you know, TV was my nanny as a kid. Uh, well, it's lovely to talk to you on the radio because um, that's what I do for a living. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's also just nice to have you in my life. Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> it never gets any less weird interviewing your ex-wife about her living. It doesn't sound weird. <laughs> well, it feels it, let me tell you, if you think about it too much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. I'm Chris Evans. We've heard from three magnificent guests already, but there's still so much more to come. Strictly Come Dancing superstar Oti Mabusi chatting her fabulous new book, Dance with Oti, The Bird Jive. Mindfulness and meditation teacher Michael James Wong shares his guide to life in his new book, Sen Bazaru, Steps to Hope, Healing and Happiness. And multi-award winning children's author Frank Cottrell Boyce spills the beans on his enchanting new novel, Noah's Gold. All of that and more still to come so let's get right back to it dapper dave who's next everyone knows that parenting's really really easy but for the sake of comedy our next guest imagine <laughs> it's a challenge series two of breeders starts tonight at 10 p.m on sky one and here to tell us more is the star of the show and the writer that brings the ankle biters to life it's daisy haggard and chris addison good morning you two morning Chris. Morning. how are you both good thank you all right how do you feel today Excellent. Do you know what? We're really high up. It's a beautiful day for the first day in weeks and weeks and weeks. The view out of here is amazing. Yeah. It's the, like it's like the first time I've seen anything like this in a year. It's I great. I've seen this much sky. It's okay, beautiful. And, it, and it's brand new season day, season two yeah, for yeah. breeders. Uh, so for people, it's about uh, not preaching to the converted. Uh, we can we can we can talk along and we converse to the converted, but we need to get more people into the breeders' sure. flock. Um, so round off season one if you can in a nutshell between you. Oh God. Oh goodness. Right, who's in it and what what? What do they do? Okay, first of all? fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, Daisy's in it. You're in it, right? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Who else is in it with you? A guy called Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman, and they play parents Paul and Ali. Uh, uh, Daisy plays Paul, and <laughs> Martin plays Ali. Yeah. Uh, and they have two uh, kids, Luke and Ava. And our show is basically about how you love your children more than anything in the universe, but nothing in the universe makes you angrier than your own kids. That's yeah. it. True. And it's whether you can keep a lid on that, and when yeah. you have a, a disposition, psychological disposition like Martin's character, that's more difficult than not yeah but we yeah. like to think that that's not that unusual that most of us kind of the big the big I don't know the big response we tend to get to it is people saying thank god thank thank you for saying that thank goodness it's not just me yeah right I get that a lot 
It's a bit Leonard Rosted. Do you remember? Um, oh, what was the show? It wasn't Rising Down, but it was the other one that he was in. Reggie uh, Perrin. Reggie Perrin. When he used to... <laughs> do you remember you used to get the flashbacks of hippopotamuses and things? What he was really <laughs> thinking and what he was trying not yeah. to say. Yeah. And that's what sort of Martin... That's what we all do as, as parents. So um, what were the trials and tribulations, the highlights of season one to the unconverted? Well, there were younger children, yeah. so it was it was that journey, really. Yeah. Sleepless nights, um, Sort of seeds of anxiety with Luke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he became a little anxious boy, didn't he? Yeah. Hey, and he then, did. and then at the end of the season, he sort of nearly died. He got meningitis, and uh, and so for the, for the last two episodes, he was sort of in in hospital, which we filmed like four hundred yards that way. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's where we left them uh, with him just recovered, wasn't it? I think. Yes. All right, and so we rejoin, and there are birthdays. Uh, there's one teenager, as opposed to <laughs> there not having been any uh, last season. Now, I only watched episode one. Rachel watched three. She can't be with us this morning because she's in another room watching the whole of the French reunion. Yeah, she could be. She could be with us, uh, but she says, um, you know, this goes even deeper. Uh, and, and why wouldn't you do that? Because you know, it's such a rich well of content, isn't it? Being a parent, especially nowadays, yeah. especially if you're being very honest and open about it, at, with uh, you know, wearing it's quite lightly on your sleeve because there's comedy involved too. Well, and this is the next phase of parenting, isn't it? Which I'm not at yet. So I see this show as like a sort of warning. Oh, of my future. Yeah. <laughs> I've got the, I've got a three year old and a six year old, so I'm kind of where the last se- season was. Right. And then I doing this one, I got more nervous about my future. Yeah, because we've moved everything on five years with this season, so the kids are that bit older. We realised that when in doing that, that we basically set ourselves a trap because <laughs> suddenly we had two new characters to write for. Yeah, we yeah. Said, well, wait a minute, these children <laughs> didn't say anything last time, and now of course they're sort of ten and thirteen, and they're answering back, and they're stealing away to their rooms. They're watching things on laptops. What are they watching? Why are they watching it? Are they listening to what we can hear or are they playing an alternative soundtrack to cover over what they're really watching yeah. and what they're really listening to <laughs> things like that yes yeah. things like that things that are very familiar right, to, so oh, how many, to me how many dinner parties or zoom um parties have you had to have over the last 14 months with your pals to secretly harvest material <laughs> do you know what we like to secretly harvest material we what we do we we like when we started the the show so, uh, martin and, and simon blackwell who uh, and i who sort of created the show we sat and and talked like in ways that we'd never talked before about because you know we're hidebound middle class middle-aged white english <laughs> dudes we don't talk and we had to sort of sit and talk about what it was like <laughs> to be a parent in a way that we'd never done before and then in the writer's room it's the same like when we brought the writers in uh, we have an, a fantastic team and everybody just talks about their own fears and failures and guilt it's like it's like somebody's paying us to do therapy essentially well that's what it's that all about amazing i'm a bit jealous i don't get to be part of that come in <laughs> daisy come in you, for fun. were you tempted to give them any tips on actually talking to each other about feelings and things that might matter <laughs> as a woman <laughs> i mean it's tempting but it sounds like they're doing quite well <laughs> um it's gangbusters straight from the off um uh, Martin's character, uh, it, there's a birthday, and then he does that thing which we. I'm honestly, I can hear myself. Can you hear yourself, us, yeah. when he's talking? Yep. It's, it's mad, isn't it? And it's all projection, isn't it? Of course it is. And you d- don't get the kids what they want for their birthday. Get them what you think they should. <laughs> Go to the photo shop. Or, or yeah. actually, what you think they should want. Not yeah. The, yeah. you know. That's what my parents did. Yeah, because we want to disguise the fact that this is what we think they should have. With this is actually what they want. They just haven't realised it yet. <laughs> yeah, you want to get your children something improving, and they just want to yeah. to just chill out. And don't you remember? Just like when I think back at presents, it's always the one I wanted that I remember the joy because it was so rare. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it was normally someone else Why that gave it to me. Why do we do that? Because we've all been kids. We know the other, how the other end, how this yeah. story ends on birthdays. Yeah. Yet we still resist it as parents. Is it because, it's, it's, again, it's cognitive dissonance, isn't it? Because you yeah. fear, you fear for your kids, right? So everything that you do for your kids is, be, is because you go, <laughs> but if I give you that, then you're going to go down the wrong be, path. Yeah. If I give you the improving, if I give you a chemistry set, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll cure cancer. But if I give you a bike, you're going to get run over on the road. That's yeah. essentially what we're thinking. I mean, you might have loads of fun in between and meet your future partner or join a rock band with your pals down the yeah. park, but that's not the point. <laughs> that, exactly. Totally. We're thinking about the long game here. This isn't just a birthday. This is your future. Yeah. Man. Great to see you too. Um, have a lovely day. Daisy Haggard and Chris Addison, let's give them a cheer. Can we give them a cheer before they go? Cheers, uh, Chris. We can do it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Yay. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's a Strictly Come Dancing stalwart that really knows her way around a dance floor, which is a good job considering the title of her new book. Dance with Oti is out now, so ladies and gentlemen, listen closely as we talk with Oti about Dance with Oti. It's the always lovely Oti Mabusi! Hi, Oti. Hi. It's great to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. You're our favourite, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> our favourite. And we don't say that to all the boys and girls from Strictly that okay, come in here. Okay, thank you. The oh. money will come in later okay, for saying good. that. Okay. <laughs> um, you can just exchange it for a copy of my... New book. Uh, we could check. We could swap books. Let's do that. Okay. I'd love that. By the way, they don't look dissimilar. I mean, yellow is a vibe. Yeah, they wouldn't clash no. in the window of any good bookstore, would they? <laughs> no, they Available feel like New now. Year's in May. All right, before we talk about your book, um, your wonder and your genius and your stealth and your grace on the dance floor, tell us about Otimabusi. Tell us about you, you, how we, you were as a child, because your book is a kid's book. Yes. And um, when and how you got into dancing, your upbringing generally. Just tell us a bit more about yourself. Well, I started dancing in South Africa when I was four. Right. And my mom is the one who put me in dance school, me and my sisters. And we've been dancing all our lives. Dancing was that thing that we knew we did from Friday, Saturday till Sunday. We had no weekends free. We were just constantly dancing, either traveling to Blackpool or Germany or actually just traveling and doing training camps. And so did you did you have some kind of special spark off, straight off the bat? Did, did people see that in you or did you develop it very quickly? I, I don't think I even, even had a choice. I was four. <laughs> and my mom was like, you're going to do it because I don't have time to get you into anything else. Um, but I really just loved it because... One, it was all I was doing all my life. Right. But but I think dancing, as everybody knows, it just makes you happy and you get to express yourself. You also wear pretty dresses and makeup, which is nice. See, my little boy, Eli, he's eight now. He's nine on Tuesday and he loves dancing. And he, he took hold of your book last night, literally wrestled it out of my arms. And when, when we put music on, it's funny because, and this is all true, this all happened in the Evans household last night. So I'm listening to the new Delamitri album. So we've got that on and then he has your book. So he starts adding extra bits to Delamitri. <laughs> songs that they haven't thought of yet and they fit and they're in tune whilst literally exploding wow. with energy did you, did you find that as a child Eli has so much energy inside him and when he hears music right he he isn't thinking about it the music is moving him. Yes. It's it's actually moving him. It's like he's um, he's an oscillator. You know, you, sometimes you can see oscillation on a, a computer screen. Mm -hmm. The dynamics of the sound. He his body looks like that, and he can't help himself. Is that how you felt? All the time. I, I feel like even with the music playing now in the background, yeah, 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 I'm, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm clicking and dancing to it. Music just has that that. Power 
power to really influence you, change your mood, make your body kind of feel like it can move. And it did that to me all my life, all my life. Still and it's today. funny, isn't it? Because when we're doing the show, yeah. you know, I feel differently than when I, when we're outside, out of the studio, when my mind sort, sort of hijacks everything again. Really? But, but yeah, but I feel more physical in the studio. But the funny thing is, the more physical I feel doing my job, the better thoughts I have, bizarrely. So when you deal your mind out of the situation, it has to perform better to get back in on the act. Yeah. And there's a real freedom within that. I mean, I, I guess when you change and you move your body, you release certain hormones and they are feel-good feelings. And that's what, I guess, moving, exercises, running, we were talking about running, that's what it does to your body and your mind. How fit are you? I, <laughs> I should be fitter than what I am. I'm not really well, that Well, God fit. help the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I've got a lot of energy and I like to use it up, but I should be doing ten, more 10Ks, but I'm not, actually. I, I'll do one and then I'll be like, oh, I think that's enough for the week. But I would imagine you have to be careful because you might develop muscles that will be sort of counter to what you need on the dance floor. Yeah, but also muscles can weaken so that when you do go back, you just injure yourselves. But running is great. Running is great for everyone, for everything as well right what about flexibility because i'm not mm. very flexible i've never been able to touch my toes any tips for that pilates or yoga that's right. really good okay that's really good i would i feared that's what you were going to say <laughs> <laughs> or stretching stretching before you, you yeah. run and stretching after and going day by day just so you can see your progress it's about it's about staying constant right when little ot um was dancing mm -hmm. um what was the first what was the first big thing that you you enjoyed success in what's the first big event the first big event was the South African Championships. I remember I was eight um, and we work all year for that. And it's the best couples in the whole country. We come together to this one competition and it determines who is the best dancer for that year in that category. Wow. I was second. <laughs> you'll, ta you'll take second though, won't yeah, you? Yeah, I'll take second. Okay, what did the winner have that you didn't on the day? I don't. Well, they, they were a lot more disciplined. They oh, were a lot more disciplined. The, see, I, you come across on Strictly as very disciplined. I am, but I also have a side to me that's not. Like, I, I could be late. I'm that girl. You're like, OT, what do you dress like? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a mess. But then when I'm working, I become disciplined. They're like two sides. Yeah, which I think, but one relieves the other, doesn't it? It's yes. great because you take a holiday from your tough self. Exactly. And then you need your tough self back to sort your sort of spreading self out before yes. you spread too much and too thin. You make too much of a mess on the yeah. floor, as it were. <laughs> uh, by the way, you can go to dance-with-ot.walker.co.uk, which is a bit of a mouthful. So we'll put that on our Instagram page to <laughs> find you. out more about but, but what she does with her husband, uh, which sounds amazing, by the way. Do you know what? You've got so much going on and you so deserve it. So Thank congratulations. You. It's really, honestly, it's good comes to good Thank you know you. And it doesn't it doesn't i don't know you very well but i sense that you're an amazingly good person so Thank you. congratulations this book is awesome you've got something of the kids going on you've got something of uh, online going on you've got some actual dance classes going on uh, you've got your big itv show starting tomorrow the mass dancer mm -hmm. itv tomorrow 7 p.m and you're signed up for strictly again this yes year? i'm going back when, when does all that kick in we start on the 26th of july we always start wow. ahead of the celebs but yeah. i think they're going to start much later in september well, Oti, it is a pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Chris. An absolute pleasure to meet you. And her book, once again, um, Dance with Oti, Oti Mabusi, uh, Learn to Dance, The Bird Jive Kids. This gorgeous kids' picture book is out now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
If you're living life in the fast lane, our next guest is your reason to pull over and take a breather. His new book, Sen Bazuru, is out today. And here with the lowdown on how we need to slow down is a man that knows exactly <laughs> what unfolds when you just fold. It's the meticulously mindful Michael James Wong. All right. Beautiful intro. Good morning, Michael. Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. There's so much in that intro. We could actually just take um, the different <laughs> aspects of that intro. And that could be the interview, Dave. Well done. Congratulations. Uh, Michael James Wong, where, did, where were you born? Where have you been? and how did you end up here? Uh, well, I was born in New Zealand. I grew up in Los Angeles and now I live in London and it's been a nice little journey to get here. Great combo, that. I mean, New Zealand, coolest place pro- probably on yeah. the planet. Uh, Los Angeles, very exciting, very inspiring, uh, very, lots of other things too. And then you get back to uh, solid blighty here. You've been here for nine years. And so when did you start this journey of uh, this this Zen journey? Um, did it creep into your life? Was it, Did you bottom out? Was there a requirement for it? Was it because of your parents? I think it was a combination of two things. One, my parents and my family had a very kind of beautiful upbringing, but at the same time I grew up in Los Angeles where a lot of this stuff was earlier on in the 90s, early 2000s, where it was just part of kind of the movement in the community, and I just kind of got thrown into it at, in my teenage years, and it kind of just stayed with me and has become a really important part of my life. So the book is beautiful. It's Thank absolutely you. fantastic. I've read loads of these books. I said this to you when you came in, and this is a real standout book. It's amongst the best that I've ever read. It's Thank gorgeous. Um, I ironically had to, to scan it yesterday because it's a whole book, and we mm. have guests on every day. Yeah, of course. So I had to speed read a book about not living life too yeah. quickly yeah. which is so bizarre made me feel so guilty at times but it's beautiful though even though you speed read through it the whole, the whole point about the book is that it's supposed to be simple and gentle yeah. and easy so even if you only have five minutes you can still read two of the stories read four, four of the quotes and just really get some little nuggets in there that hopefully are really helpful to your life well it was it was like magic because i i did sort of get through it one way or another in a couple of hours but I did feel like spookly, like you'd, you'd, you'd um, I don't know, you'd got me under your spell to this and I'd felt I'd read it completely and I've never felt that about a book before. And there's that great phrase, isn't that um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, mm. you know, and there's thinking fast and slow and there's yeah. living slow and fast. Um, before we get into that, tell us about <clears throat> my favourite bit of the book, which is never pack a bag you can't carry which yeah. f- that's the new thing I'm, I'm going to go home right up my bedroom wall yeah. with a sharpie on my wallpaper and it's staying there forever I love that oh well I mean it is it is one of those phrases that's been with me my whole life and obviously shout out to my parents Deborah Wong Graham Wong and that was one of those things that even when you're eight years old and you kind of are packing for a trip and dad goes don't pack a bag you can't carry. And then my brother Andrew goes, don't pack a bag you can't carry. It's these (laughs) things that you just remember that even as a kid are so profound, but then as an adult, you're like, wow, it actually is such a nice thing to remember. Yeah, I mean, it's the old kiss, isn't it? Keep it simple, stupid, Mm -hmm. um, and keep it light as long as you can. Uh, Light and as as light as you can for as long as you can, and hopefully forever is the ultimate. Something else uh, I love that you talk about is... Another phrase of mine. The last person I heard us this, do you know Anton Deck? You're aware of Anton mm-hmm. Deck, aren't yep. you? Was um, was Deck, and he said, "I said, do you have one rule to live by in your life?" He says, "Yeah, go home before midnight because nothing good ever ever happens after midnight." Yeah. And this is something your dad told you. Yeah, huh? yeah. Another thing that's really important, and may, I mean, <clears throat> growing up, you always think your parents are just spouting all kinds of things, but there's a lot of wisdom that came from my parents that I didn't realize until I got older, and. You know, never stay out after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. There's a lot of logic in that when you think 
sleep is great for you, but when you're a teenager, everything after midnight's amazing and fantastic, and you just need someone to go, hey, you know what? There's more to life than tonight. Yeah, because what your dad was telling you there, um, without telling you, teaching from behind, if you like, hmm. it wasn't, I want you home before midnight. It yeah. was, I want you to have a great day the next day. Yeah. And that's the bit I didn't realise till yeah. I read it in your book. I thought, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Because actually, some things after midnight are quite fun. Yeah, but weighed, weighed up against what you know, what you're using up in the future, it's probably not worth the trade-off. Ultimately, yeah, and it depends on your life and your lifestyle. Obviously, things after midnight can be really fun, but I, most times, nine out of ten, the next morning is not going to be the most fun. And especially if you're out late having a good time, maybe in the morning that's the time to hang out with your with your kids, play with your puppy, get up and do some good writing, all those kind of things. And as you kind of move through life, you start to weigh up actually what things really fulfill me. So when you meditated for the first time which you recount in the book yep. you didn't think you got on with it at all mm -hmm. just just re recount that for us so I'm a big advocate of telling a true story and I think it's really important that when we look at things like mindfulness and meditation people think they need to be good at it they need to win at it they need to accomplish it and, and this is kind of the human nature of thinking I need to be successful in all the things I do even meditation, even the things that are supposed to support you. And so for me, in that first experience, it was actually really not fun. It was miserable because I was trying to be good. I was trying to say, how do I get from A to B? And it was that kind of moment where you realize and recognize that actually it's not about getting somewhere. It's about you've missed the experience completely because you're just thinking ahead too much. So what was the tipping point for you? When did you realize how to do it better? Um, I think where it came for me, the tipping point came when I started to recognize that the rest of my life is so busy and there's a lot of chaos and actually meditation and moments of quiet are actually permission to not do, to not accomplish. And I had some great teachers growing up. I still have some great teachers and it's just that constant state of remembering. And I think a lot of times as humans, we don't need to learn lots and lots of new things. We actually just need to remember all the things that we know already, but we just easily forget because there's lots of lights and bright noises around us. All right, it's Embazuri, so Small Steps to Hope, Healing and Happiness is out today. And for more about what Michael James Wan gets up to, and it's all good for us, justbreatheproject.com is where you need to go. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From indie cinema masterpieces to fantastical works of kids' fiction, our next guest is simply a master. His new children's book, Noah's Gold, is out now, and here to tell us all about it is a man that really has the Noah's Golden Touch. It's the double barrel brilliance of Frank Cottrell Boyce! Good morning, <laughs> Frank! <laughs> I insist on having that build up every time yeah, I have my mouth well, from now on. He's available. <laughs> he's not too available, because you never want to be too available, but he's available. How are you, Frank? <laughs> I'm in top form. It's great to hear you. All right. Well, listen, this book is absolutely off the charts. It is great. You know, it is a series of sensible red flags for the next generation dripping with humour, which is often the best way of selling the most awkward and unwanted of messages. Congratulations, my friend. <laughs> oh, bless you, Chris. <laughs> it really is very good. All right. So tell everyone about Noah and tell everyone about uh, as much more as you want them to know before reading the book. Um, it's, a, it's about a school geography trip that goes horribly wrong when they're aiming to go to a kind of big warehouse, which is called the Orinoco Warehouse. Uh, but the GPS instead take, tries to take them to the Orinoco River. So they keep going west and west and west and west and west until they all end up marooned on a small island mm -hmm. off the coast of Ireland. Um, and so that you've got that set up then of like a group of kids on an island with no Wi-Fi trying to tend for themselves. And... 
I think we've been brought up to think that if that happens, then the kids will split themselves into tribes, we'll be unable to light a fire, and we'll end up eating each other, because that's what happens in Lord of the Flies or in uh, Fortnite. But that's not what happens. They turn out to be really good. And I think, you know, they have adventures, things go terribly wrong, there are secret tunnels and there's gold, but I really want to sort of... I don't know, we we live through stories, don't we, Chris? And I think at the beginning of this year... There was a story that because of the pandemic, everyone would crash into supermarkets and club each other to death with toilet rolls. <laughs> and in fact, that's not what happened. You know, we, we all shopped for our neighbours and checked up on each other. And I think that's, that's a bigger truth. And it's actually a harder truth to live with in a lot of ways. Well, they so do I just say... wanted to tell a story about kids who were good and resourceful and resilient and creative yeah. and brilliant and then find some gold. And we're so, <laughs> we're so good as a species at telling stories and, um, and, and loving being told stories that often yeah, anecdotal evidence outweighs um, um, facts and stats, uh, which can be dangerous, but that's how much we love them. So if you back them up with truth, they're all the more powerful. And the way you do it is so beautiful. But Noah, of course, is not supposed to be on or in the bus in the first place. How much do you want to say about that? So he's gagged, he's sort of gagged, gagged is a very Liverpool verb, isn't it? He's stowed away on, uh, on his big sister's school trip. So I quite like the fact that he was younger and smaller than the others. You know, it's his big sister he wants. I won't go into too much detail about why he wants to be there. Partly I did it just because I love a stowaway. You know, I love uh, the stowaways in Treasure Island and things like all these stories that are on islands. I love islands and stowaways and stuff like that. So he stows away in the back of the bus and therefore nobody knows he's there. There's this good moment when the teacher does a head count and realises there's an extra kid and how could that be? Um, so that's why. Yeah, and um, because his big sis uh, is with her mates, she, you know, and I don't, I don't want to say too much here, but she denies, <laughs> she denies any knowledge of him, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> and he keeps writing to his mum and dad from this island, and he keeps sending these letters off, hoping they're going to finally get to his mum and dad, and sometimes his nana. And he says, Eve still won't. She, she, it's like she's not told anybody that I'm her brother. It's like she, she's not even acknowledged to me that I'm her brother. And I, last time I looked, I definitely am her brother. <laughs> it's hilarious, Frank. But that, yeah, it's that whole thing about peer pressure in kids, isn't it? That they they do do that. It's yeah. awful, but they do. You know. Uh, and then yeah. get, and then and the letter writing thing is. A, sorry, Chris. No, on. and then he gets used to it. I think you know, she's, she's still not admitting that yeah. I'm a brother. Okay. Yeah. And he, he he almost comes around to her sort of Orwellian uh, brainwashing. Uh, now, yeah, that I might might wh- not be. <laughs> when you when you set this story on an island, I know you have previous as a family in real life of being marooned on an island which is in the prologue, which is the best prologue I've ever read of any book ever. Uh, but you, you also illustrate the island at the beginning of the book this, where the story is set, and I love that. The second I saw it, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. Did that help you with the writing? Oh, definitely. I mean, I love a book with a map in. So do I. I just love a book with a map in. I've always aspired to write a book with a map in. Yes. And in fact, this one, you know, I, I did find it hard to write at the beginning of lockdown. It's hard to concentrate again. So I thought, instead of, it's turning to work, you know, I'm sitting at a desk and Zooming people, then... You're trying to be creative at the same desk with the same screen. So I drew a map first and just started to imagine that. So the map came before the story in a lot of ways. I had this lovely thing, Chris, that during lockdown, um, I did like free Instagram creative writing lessons for kids on my me, on me Instagram. And loads of kids came to it. And it, it wasn't really about trying to get them to be a better writer so much as trying to get them to use their creativity to be happy. And I, during one of the kind of tasks that I set, I said, imagine yourself somewhere you'd like to be. Uh, because you can't go anywhere, you know, it's lockdown. 
And one of the kids said, and are you doing that in your work? And I thought, oh my God, I'm not, am I? So that's when I thought, I'll set this on an island and I drew the map and it suddenly came to life. So this was, I had this lovely, lovely, lovely time writing this book and it was gifted to me by the kids on that account. You know, that it was their idea to take your imagination somewhere you want to be, you know? Frank, I love you so much. (laughs) Anything else you'd like to say before you go? No, just it's just lovely to be talking to you again, Chris. I miss you. It's Uh, great. And thank you so much for this. All right, mate. No problem at all. You're very welcome. And I hope to see you again soon. Uh, I will do. I will do. You can't wait to read the book. I I read it last night. He wants to get his uh, sticky paws all over it, but he gets it tonight, so no problem there. And (laughs) let's resurrect 500 words as soon as we can. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right, pal. You're awesome. God bless. God bless Bye. to you, Frank Cottrell Boyce, an absolute genius. And this book, Noah's Gold, illustrated by Stephen Lenton, is out now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Her new Acorn TV series, Whitstable Pearl, continues on Monday. It tells the story of murder, mystery and deceit in Whitstable. Sounds terrifying. Who'd live there? Please welcome the awesome Kerry Godleyman. Morning, Kerry. How are you? Hello. I'm very well. How are you? I'm very well. Congratulations on your programme. I watched it last night. I I thoroughly enjoyed every aspect of it other than one Ah. thing. It's an amazing advert for Whitstable. And by the way, no offence to Whitstable. It's just that Vassas, who works on the show, bought a little weekend place um, in Whitstable. And I was ribbing him about it, not because of where it was, but but because of how long he claimed it took him to get there. And then you come come along and you you produce this one-hour... I can the advert for the idyll that is Whitstable, don't you, Kerry? I know, it does make the, the town look very appealing, doesn't it, that show? Well, it is gorgeous, isn't it? No doubt about it. How long yeah. did you spend there, by the way? Three months. Three months in deep winter and deep lockdown. Right. So I feel like it's my town now okay. because I didn't see other people around when I was down there. And it's what really? you call, I suppose, selective filming because you can't tell it's the middle of winter. Uh, for, for a start, you, you you end up open water swimming and not, you know, uh, of your own volition. <laughs> well, let's not go any further with that. But many, several members of the cast end up in the sea um, at several different times uh, during episode one. Uh, but yep. it, it looks gorgeous. So did you pick your filming days? Because it was always sunny, blue skies. Everybody come to Whitstable today. Well, we were we lucked out in November. You've seen episode one. Mm. Come back to me when you see the January episodes. It's less uh, less sunny. All right. Okay. So, what do you want to say about um, what goes on on the show uh, without giving too much away? Because you're really good at this. And then we'll get on to uh, more of the eye candy in, in a moment or two. It's a it's a sort of seaside who done it. Pearl is a local woman who is a pretty sex, a successful restaurateur. Like she's got her own fish restaurant. But she also dabbles in a bit of private detective um, work on the side. <laughs> and I think initially it was, um, you know, kind of not too challenging get, like, stuff that wasn't too sinister. And then we find her when it takes a bit of a dark turn and she finds a body of an old family friend. And I think she's sort of a bit scared she's out of her depth. So there's always that little kind of sense that she's, kind of flailing a little bit. She's a little bit naive, but she's determined. And what also this uh, serves, or this also serves up rather, Whitstable Pearl, is the grumpiest um, detective inspector that television's ever seen. But we like know, him but more for it, not less. I know, he's super, super grumpy, but he's 
He's quite hunky, isn't he? So you let it slide. No, well, that's not why I let it slide, if I'm being honest. I like, I just like the fact that he is really sort of monosyllabic and really doesn't want to be anywhere, uh, you yeah. know, least of all in the middle of a case far away from the smoke where he'd rather get down it's and quite funny, though. I found that quite funny. No, the more grumpy he got, the more amused I got. No, it was hilarious because he, <laughs> he wears his grump on his sleeve, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think that's what's kind of nice about their relationship is that she just... Um, finds him attractive, uh, you know, against w- her will, almost, because it's like he really annoys her, <laughs> and yet they're attracted to one another. Yeah, but he annoys everyone, second only to annoying himself, which is why he, I know. which is where his vulnerability is, because he's giving I himself know, the hardest time, isn't he? Yeah, he's trapped in his nature, and you do find out a bit more about why. I mean, it's not like he's just grumpy. He's got stuff going on. He's got he baggage, has. Chris. They've all got baggage. Has. No, I get it. I understand. I, well, I thoroughly enjoyed his grumpiness. He yeah, owned, no, he, me too. He owned it. The more grumpy he got, the more It's brilliant. It's brilliant because it's meant, obviously that's what meant what he's meant to be like. And you think, oh, well, he's going to warm up in a bit. He gets colder as it goes I know. on. And I like that because it's sort of, because you don't want it to be twee. Because, you, you know, which, well, it's a sweet little seaside town. Yeah. And he just will not have it. He just isn't charmed by it. Right. And there's this whole, like, Pearl's like, but it's so adorable. Of course, of course everybody loves this town. And he doesn't, and I thought that was very funny. <laughs> but least of all, he doesn't love himself, and we see the world as we are, not as we'll see it that is. Unfold. Yeah, uh, which the ball pearl is on Acorn TV right now. This is a fan, an amazing show. Tell us more about Acorn TV and how come this is on that particular platform. Do you know what? I don't know. I don't know that stuff. It's just that they commissioned it, and it's based on these books by. Julie Wassimer, she's written eight of these Whistable Pearl mysteries. Right. And um, Acorn rightly recognised that it would make a fabulous television programme, so they... They commissioned it. Well, they were right because it has, and you're in it. I didn't realise that Whitstable now has its own franchise, Vassos. Mm. Yeah. Do, are you, do, well, of course it does. If she's got eight books, it's yes. a franchise, isn't it? And they're all Whitstable uh, books. Yeah, you're you, right. You know how yeah, this works. Right. Um, now, so what people will be massively disappointed in, as they will flock to Whitstable in their millions, because that's what happens <laughs> when somebody does a great TV show and what looks like, you know, heaven on earth, they will, yeah. go, they will go and they will try and find the Whitstable Pearl Fish Restaurant. But it does not exist, and this is... A forewarner. We must forewarn people. By all means, go to Whitstable. By all means, knock on Vassus's door and ask him, can you <laughs> can you spend the weekend with him and his family um, um, for a donation to children in need or something like that? But good luck with the Whitstable Pearl because it is it is one of those annoying things that people in Telluland have made. It is. It's, I, I mean, I really do hope it, it does excite people about Whitstable. It is a gorgeous town. Kerry, I love you. I think you're amazing. Um, oh, thank you. Seriously, well done on this show. Uh, Whitstable Pearl, acorn.tv, uh, the best out of it for which ever had other than Vassar Alexander banging on about it on the radio every single blimmin' day. Kerry, have a lovely weekend. Thanks for being on the yeah, programme. Yeah, you too. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. You're awesome. Kerry Godleman is officially awesome still. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.